Talk. Identity. And access. Management. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff, and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. It's Thursday of a short week, theoretically. <laughs> I know. I always so. question whether or not to um, bring that up, right? Because we're sitting here recording, and it's like, oh, the week's almost over. Well, we released the podcast on Monday, so I'm assuming mm-hmm. a lot of people are listening on Monday and Tuesday thinking it's not the end of the week. It's the beginning of the week. <laughs> well, it's the ending of the week as we're recording this. So to kind of peel down the, the layer or the fourth wall here, we typically record later in the week, usually Thursdays, sometimes Fridays. I'll edit it, throw it all together, and then we schedule it for a publish on Monday at noon Eastern. Just that way, you know, people have a chance to, to listen to it and kind of be fresh. So that's typically how it works. So, yeah, it is a little bit of a short week, potentially. I say potentially because, you know, at this point, people are working from home and everything going on. Who knows when you're going to be working? Could be over the weekend, et cetera. Jeff, that you just gave away the secret sauce. Now everybody's going to do a podcast. Yeah, they should. <laughs> hey, we were sitting around and we're like, hey, you know, we should do this and just decided – I think, you know, Luis, uh, you know, who, who we worked with for a while here, he did his and I was like, yeah, all right, well, let's just go ahead and start doing ours. Cause you and I had been talking about it for a while and we were talking about it for just... years. <laughs> so we yeah. finally did it. And I was like, we were threatening, we should really do that. <laughs> okay. Well, not today. <laughs> and now <laughs> yeah. here we are in episode, whatever, 50 something. Uh, it should be 46 if my math is right, which okay. is suspect. <laughs> yeah, but so, yeah, we're coming still, up on almost a year. Yeah, we should do a special edition when we hit 50. Yeah, we'll invite all the stars and we'll get a nice <laughs> green room set up. Maybe Ron will be able to come back and we can treat him to a nice green room experience, virtual green room experience. <laughs> uh, I was thinking like The Rock and Kevin Hart and, you know, but yeah, oh, yeah, Ron, yeah. Ron will do. Ron, Ron will do right. Yeah, um, uh, it'll we'll broadcast it around the world to our our dozens of listeners. <laughs> um, I'm very excited for one thing that's happening this weekend, and that is restrictions are starting to get lifted. So I'm finally going to be able to get a haircut. Ooh, you're gonna get so, them all cut or just one? That is ha ha ha. That is such a dad joke. Um, <laughs> you get your ears lowered or what, Jack? <laughs> So I'm looking forward to that. It's been like three months and it's pretty shaggy. I, have, I haven't turned my camera on for a meeting in a while because it's just, it is out of control. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, we had, a, um, we had a conference call today where it was, you know, over Zoom. And I think four of us were sharing our cameras and we we're all wearing t-shirts and nobody looked that well-dressed or well-groomed. So I don't, I don't think you have anything to worry about. Judge me by the content of my character in actions versus the appearance. How about that? There you go. You, you are a civil rights leader there, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. I'm all about equality and I want uh, to change our, our attire for business from, you know, business casual to shorts and t-shirts. And I think everyone's going to be a lot happier. I think and over the last couple of months, I think more people probably align with that because they've gotten to experience it. <laughs> agree 
Um, all right, so for topics today, our big one is going to be talking about the recently re released, I think it was a few weeks ago now, the 2020 Kupinger Cole Leadership Compass for Privileged Access Management, which is a complete mouthful. Mm -hmm. um, and, and before we get too far along, I'll have links to that report in our show notes so you can find those wherever you get in your podcast or identitycenter.com. And I'll put a few links from a few different vendors because as always, if you want to get it from the vendors for free, you have to give up your email address if that's something that uh, you're willing to do. So we'll put a couple, a couple links up there based on the vendor maybe that you want to check out. Uh, before we get into that though, uh, talk a little bit about conference news. We talked about Eventiverse last week. Um, it is still taking place, although it's going to be virtually. And from what I saw in the schedule today, the schedule is going to run basically from June all the way through August with several um, sessions, virtual sessions per day over that many weeks. And it's all free and it'll be available on demand afterwards, which is pretty cool. So, um, you know, we were talking here before we hit the record button about how, I, how you think that makes sense from a attendance perspective it might be easier for people to check out. I think on demand is the way of the world now, right? I mean, you can, you can watch it all in one binge or you can spread it out. Uh, just like watching episodes of, of Ozark. I mean, you can watch three seasons in one weekend now. But if you get hooked, the problem is, is that <laughs> the fourth season doesn't come until next year. Well, that's like any other show, right? You watch the season and you got to wait a year or two, depending on the show and, you know, whatever. So you happen. got me into The Walking Dead, which I wasn't, I didn't want to go there. And mm -hmm. I watched, I binged it. It did take me a few months to binge it all because I watch, you know, five, six episodes and then have to get back to life. Uh, but then I got all the way caught up with what was on Netflix and then I fell out of it. So it's almost like I have to wait. Like when I watched Breaking Bad, I waited until the, the series actually ended and then I watched the whole thing and it was fantastic. I think I watched that one in about two weeks. Yeah, I did the same thing. I waited till everything was available and I just plowed through Breaking Bad and I thought it was, I thought it was amazing. Um, if you're not caught up with Walking Dead, I guess I'm not sure what's on Netflix because I, I kept up with it until this year. I feel like if you got to the part with Negan and you saw the resolution of that, then everything's good. Yeah, I mean, like, I if you don't know who Negan is, then definitely worth checking out because I thought he was one of the best characters on there. Very well acted. Yeah, I don't, I, he must have been bullied when he was a youth. <laughs> and he didn't like it very much. And then, yeah. I guess he was a gym teacher or something. I don't know. I don't know the, the full details. That, yeah, but. the backstory is always unbelievable with that show. Yeah. But um, we've got privilege access management to talk about. Do we? All right, I guess. Where do we want to start? <laughs> How do we start with, I guess, the PAM market, privilege access management market as a whole? And, you know, based on the report, uh, you know, they see the market to continuing to grow, you know, roughly double between this year and, 2025, so over the next five years. And nothing really jumped out at me as far as the things that were influencing growth. They've got digital transformation, you know, GDPR slash compliance, cybercrime, DevOps, cloud distributed computing. So that's kind of the, the stuff that I was thinking anyway would, would drive that growth. So nothing really jumped out at me at there. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I mean, there are some new forces at play that are really going to give Penn the opportunity and and really i think that there's converging forces taking place so there's the whole shift out of 
infrastructure into the cloud to AWS, to um, Azure, to Google Cloud. Um, and that is creating new opportunities for privilege management. Now, other solutions are, saying, are seeing that as an opportunity where they can provide a solution that they may not be traditional PAM vendors. What I still think is kind of cool and interesting about the PAM space is how many vendors still like you, you whoever's listening, hopefully they go out and download this report and see the whole space. I mean, the ones that come to, to mind are usually the, you know, the, the Beyond Trust, the Centrify, of course, CyberArk. Um, they're the ones that are top of mind for most folks, but I mean, the list goes much beyond that. Now, there are some other players that, you know, especially when you start talking about DevOps and the management of cloud resources where it starts to expand things and then cloud access governance. So you're bringing the traditional governance components into play like uh, IGA vendors like SailPoint and Savient are starting to come up with solutions that look and feel like, like PAM solutions, but they're not as complete maybe uh, in the traditional PAM space, and at the same time, the traditional PAM vendors are are reaching back and saying we need to provide governance to what's going on in the cloud. So, one of the things that I see is like a major trend that's happening in identity access management is that vendors who had been in pockets um, in single sign-on access management, or in PAM, or in identity governance, are starting to encroach into those other areas and it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues because it's going to if it does it will challenge some existing partnerships between major vendors who start you know offering competitive solutions to one another uh, so anyway um, that's kind of a lot of what I see going on and I think that's helping the market to grow is not just that more people are buying the the solutions but that the landscape is growing and the amount of coverage and the changing solutions are going to drive people to have to license new products to manage these new challenges. Yeah, that consolidation point was an interesting one because I think we saw, was it CyberArk bought Adaptive? Is that what it was a few weeks ago? Mm -hmm. And Adaptive was the access management component of Centrify before they spun off separately. Yep. So that's kind of an interesting consolidation that's taking place right there. And I would imagine we'll see more of that in the future. Um, yeah. I think we, that, and you also see, you know, the, uh, again, the cloud, the, the traditional governance solutions doing cloud access governance. And then you also see folks like Okta providing some capabilities in privilege management, some capabilities in user provisioning, and all these spaces are starting to blend together. If you go to you know, a lot of vendors' websites, it can be, I'll just use the word confusing to figure out who actually can do what. Uh, that's kind of, I think, a lot of the value add that we provide in, in the consulting work that we do is that we help kind of see through those things. Uh, but I mean, just looking at what I used to call checkbox compliance like everybody wants to be checkbox compliance. oh yeah provisioning we do provisioning um mm -hmm. provisioning means a lot of different <laughs> things right right they're missing the little star that says terms and conditions apply right and then you have the guy who's like speaking ultra fast all the different things that have to be in place right. for that to work <laughs> right. or where like it doesn't apply of, at the end yeah. of the car commercial exactly yeah but <laughs> you know and like there's a big 
movement for uh, ITSM solutions into the governance space. Oh yeah, we do provisioning, you know, and you can just go to one place to request, you know, help for your broken laptop, or you can request access for uh, to an application or an Active Directory account or an email address or or whatever, and we can we can provision that. Well, again, the devil's in the details. A lot of time when they when I hear that, it pretty much only means Active Directory. There's a lot more out there than that, obviously, and that's a big one. And that might be good enough for you know some some organizations. Others yeah, and provisioning. I I think provisioning is also a a fraction of the total identity governance pie. I mean, the total yeah. identity governance pie is about who has access to what, having that that database or having that one view of, of all the access that an individual has. And then it's all layering on top, the ability to do access reviews, the ability to request additional access, bundle things into roles, things like that. So it goes on and on and on. And just covering one small bit of it doesn't mean you're doing identity governance. Right. You're not even really doing the G and GA at that point. <laughs> right. Um, all right. Well, let's get back to Pam because I think there were some required capabilities that Cooper Cole had identified. Um, do you want to take us through that list? I think there was like what, seven or eight, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, I wanted to, you know, kind of talk about each one of those capabilities as they term them. And it's one of those areas, like you were saying earlier, where, um, you know, it can get confusing and there's a mouthful. And I think what you said, and a lot of these are a mouthful. And what I wanted to do is at least put it into kind of the way I've thought about these things traditionally, because it's this, I think it's the same thing with different, a different name. Um, yeah. I think the biggest thing when it comes to privilege access management on the traditional side, and that's where most of these required capabilities come to is that, Human beings don't know passwords for privileged accounts. They, they can't um, use them without anybody knowing. So those accounts get stored in the privilege access management system, whether it's a vault and it gives the person the credentials and then after a period of time, it changes the password, but they don't know the new password unless they check those credentials out again. And then there's some paper trail or whether it just launches a session, they never, never see the password. Then there's the idea of um, monitoring that session. So this is a big part of it is that, you know, having the ability, whether you're an IT user or now the, the use of PAM is kind of expanding to business users or what I like to call power users, um, having the ability to kind of log and record those sessions. And then privilege user escalation. So, you know, traditional, you know, management of say a server, you want to log in with a very low powered account because you don't accidentally want to run the command with a high powered account, then, um, you know, potentially, you know, do something accidentally to screw up the system. So you log in with a low powered account and then you elevate when you run the command. So you run the command under a set of credentials that has the power to run that command, but you tried to run the command with the account that you logged in with, it wouldn't run because you've been sufficient privileges. So that's, those are kind of the, the main pieces of, you know, traditional PAM. Um, and so the first one, going back to the report, the first one they talked about 
They call it Privileged Account Data Lifecycle Management, P-A-D-L-M, uh, which what I call, the, what I talk about here, the way I rec call this is privileged access request unapproved. So in other words, and, or whether it's pre-approved, but almost every PAM solution has this, which is you know, some kind of user interface to go through and say, I'm going to either, you know, I'm the, I'm the top person I'm going to assign, Jeff gets to use this account, you know, or um, maybe I log in as Jeff and say, I need to use that account in order to perform some task. And then somebody else might be triggered to go in and approve it. So it's really, you know, the request approve process for privilege access. That makes sense. Yeah, it's like the, you know, to boil it down in simpler terms, like the check-in, check-out process, right? Who, who, who has it for when, and who's keeping track of it? That paper trail that goes behind it. Exactly. Exactly. So the next one was shared account password management, and to me, this is what I call the check-in and check-out process, or fire call, fire call accounts. Um, the interesting thing is they call it. They're talking about the shared account password management. I don't think this is really that different than the named account if you're managing named accounts in the privilege access solution but a lot of times folks who have privilege access management systems won't put named accounts in the pam system they'll just put the shared account so you can if you need to use a root account or an sa account or something like that that'll be in the pam and the named users like j J McDonald underscore admin or admin underscore J Jim or whatever, uh, that would not be in Pam. But I really think this capability from most for the most part is the same regardless of the type of account, but it's traditionally been used more for shared accounts. Yeah, and I think that the named account versus shared account thing, in my mind, if you have named accounts, and you have shared accounts, you're typically in the process of changing over to some new privileged access management process, right? Maybe everyone was an administrator and there was a decision made to say, okay, well, we're gonna start to streamline that. You know, the Windows team can keep their admin accounts for now, but ultimately at the end of the day, we wanna get down to, you know, just lease privilege. And at some point, maybe the named admin accounts go away and they start using an account fully managed within the privileged access management system. But yeah, you're, you're totally right. I, it's rare that I see named accounts in it, but it is essentially the same concept, right? It's this account has privileges above, above and beyond, you know, what a normal user may have for whatever case it may be your app or platform. And we are going to manage them in this method through this technology. Yeah, right, exactly. So the third one was application to application password management or AAPM, um, another mouthful. And uh, actually I forgot to mention, this is kind of one of the core features of privilege access management for as long as privilege access management has been around, which is the ability to manage service accounts. Um, service accounts are you know, one of the biggest problems in organizations that we see over and over again is that over time, they've created dozens or hundreds of service accounts. Now, they don't know where they're being used. They're afraid to change the password, so they set them up with a non-expiring password, and they become an exception to the, the policy. And they become a huge um, you know, security risk in that 
you've got a, an account which may be very, very powerful and it's not being managed according to policy. And so getting those accounts into a privilege access management system, ideally right from the start and having it manage the password. And when it manages it, the password has to manage it in two places where it's being used as well as um, in the directory, usually in the active directory. So that's the service account side, but this area is not just Windows specific. It also has to do with um, Unix servers and there's accounts that can be in scripts or in text files um, in other directories and in, you know, I've, you know, I'll, I'll make the assumption. So part of this is I've read the document and what you're getting right now is Jim McDonald's interpretation, right? We haven't talked to the author and, and confirmed that this is exactly what he meant, but I would include in here like DevOps accounts. Now talks about DevOps later in the document as a separate capability. But I still think, you know, DevOps is mainly using accounts and scripts or stuff and credentials and scripts. So the traditional or the, the de facto route would be to hard code a credential into a script. The privilege access management approach or the DevOps approach would be to go out and fetch that account from a service like privilege access management. So that's what I think this area is covering. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's something that used to be a kind of differentiator between different products, um, but I think has become kind of standard now across the landscape. I mean, essentially the way it works, right, is you have a little script within your script that says, hey, instead of the password, <clears throat> you know, run run this script, which will then go to whatever your privilege access management technology is and retrieve the credentials from there. And right. you know that's that's not something that it's hard coded in the script can't be taken away, uh, or if someone leaves right and has access to that account, you don't have to worry about changing that password, which can cause a whole bunch of other problems, you know, as well. So, um, so yeah, I think I think it's an important one. Um, I don't really see too many organizations that have really taken advantage of that yet, but I think that's sort of the the next step. I think there's a natural progression where it starts with okay, let's get a let's get a vault set up at least. And then it becomes, okay, let's do some session recording and, and monitoring type, you know, services around it. And then the next step is typically in my mind, you know, moving to that DevOps, you know, app password management type approach. Yeah. I've seen a lot of organizations where they're, they're doing some management of service account. You know, you, you find somewhere it's like they've got a very complete approach where in other words, they identified this as a risk a long time ago and really put in the effort to migrate their service accounts and whether they're at 100% migrated or 90%, they're way better off than 0%. So I see that. And then I think where you're referencing on the DevOps side with kind of the checking out of um, credentials that would be potentially otherwise hard coded into a script, um, I feel like a lot of organizations, the developers, if the developers are thinking that way, they're doing it, but it's more pockets and there's not, you know, if there's a DevSecOps approach, you know, I think the more sophisticated organizations a lot of times are, are doing something like this. But one of the things I feel like that I've noticed is that information security is kind of being left behind on this. And this is not everybody, right? I think some, um, information security professionals have really kept up with 
what's going on in the automation world in terms of DevOps. However, the world is changing so much. You know, it's not just servers and on-prem infrastructure that you're managing these accounts for. And now it's all up in the cloud. It's a combination of services. It's a combination of, you know, automation. And it's not even servers that are being automated. It's um, containers. And so in some cases, so I think the amount of change that's happening and, and the pace of change is going faster than information security can keep up with. And in those kind of scenarios, what I think is that you don't want to be the progress prevention department. You don't want information security to say, no, you can't do this because we can't keep up or we don't understand it. Let those developers kind of move forward, but make sure it's done in a, in a fashion that has a paper trail, that has oversight, that um, works within and stays compliant with the policies, and that there is a watchdog. I think that's the, the important role that information security can play, not to slow things down, but to make sure that it's being done in an auditable fashion so that you don't have kind of a um, you know sloppy work or potentially a rogue uh, employee or contractor going off and, you know, creating access for themselves that, you know, is a backdoor later on. Right. I think that's why it's important to, um, you know, when you think about things like terra terraforming and scripting automation, you want to get the, the security design right and make sure that you're not automating bad practices. <laughs> so yeah. if you're taking advantage of these types of technologies, you know, it's, it's going to help you down the road for sure. Absolutely. So number four was control, privilege, elevation, and delegation management, CPEDM. And to me, this was pseudo. This is the ability to, or pseudo or run as. In other words, I can get to the server. I can, you know, log into the PAM system, get to the server using my J. McDonald account, but I can't do anything of any value, right? I can, you know, bring up the desktop, but if I want to launch users and computers or I want to run a backup command, I have to sudo to an account, to a credential that can actually perform that. Typically what um, I see is that, so sudo would be the uh, command used in kind of a default or de facto Unix or Linux environment, but each of the PAM solutions has their own executable, uh, which would be named some, something like you know, something like sudo um, mm -hmm. or sudo. So it's, uh, I think almost all PAM solutions have this. Maybe that's why it falls into the this category, but this is kind of a, you know, this has been around for a long time. Yeah, kind of a no-brainer, <laughs> I think, of of the PAM area. It's, this is really kind of where I think it started, right? Yeah. yeah. So the next one kind is... Of Oh, go ahead. I would say, I think it kind of dovetails really nicely into the next one because you're, you're talking about, you know, endpoint privilege management and local administrator, you know, it's, it's, it's a very similar concept. You want to take us through endpoint privilege management? Well, yeah, I think this is really what this comes down to is the ability to manage devices, um, especially Windows devices is probably, you know, most corporate environments, it makes up the majority of, of the devices and they would have a local administrator account. Um, you know, I think if you have an environment where a lot of your devices are Macs or other operating systems, maybe Android devices, 
that you need to make sure that as you evaluate solutions that you're including those types of devices as you know being able to be managed but i think one of the biggest things is that like we talked about on the last podcast is um you know should people should organizations allow their end users to be administrators to their laptops we think it's one of the biggest um one of the biggest potential flaws or um security gaps is by allowing end users to install their own software they can get tricked into installing malware and so this gives you a solution that when the person calls and says hey i need to install some software it's either an administrator can do it or a help desk person can do it they can temporarily become the local admin but they can apply some additional validation that this is actually legitimate software and then that right would be taken away after that uh, task is performed yeah i think it's one of the most important things that a, a security program can try to institute an organization is that that management of local admin rights i'm just, you know whether it's windows mac you know mobile devices android ios etc this is how a lot of malware gets into the environment and being able to manage that effectively is important because it can be so disruptive to the business. Um, and by extension, things like help desk, service desk, et cetera, who are having, having to field the calls from the users, et cetera. So being able to manage that is, is really important. And I see as almost foundational, not almost, but is foundational, right? To a secure environment is making sure that if you are following the concept of least privilege, chances are the vast majority of your user population does not need to be an administrator on a machine. And that's, that's, right. that's going to help reduce the risk to the organization. Yeah. And, and like we talked about last time was, you know, you're probably not sending out a big proclamation that <laughs> you're taking away these rights and you're probably going to roll it out over time. If you have a solution like this in place, it can make it a little less painful. You can take it away, but you can allow your, you know, your service desk or your desktop admins to be able to, temporarily elevate their privileges um, rather than, you know, I think the traditional approach has been we're going to <clears throat> put a bunch of accounts in the local admin group. It won't be the local users themselves. It'll be, I've actually seen it where it's named people who have to, who were the, the desktop people at the time who built the desktop. I'm going to put my account and a few other people who work on the team, put their account, or maybe it'll be a group. Maybe it's an AD group in the local admin group. It's still not, still not a very secure way to do it. Yeah. And this is going to be a painful no matter what. I think having good management of endpoints, meaning local admin rights, is a differentiator between just how painful it's going to be. It's going to hurt regardless, but it can, it can go better. <laughs> if, yeah, if you're I mean, prepared yeah. for it. Imagine this scenario, this just came to mind, but I think this is a very real scenario. Is you have some desktop support people who happen to be in a group, an AD group that gets dropped in the local admin groups on all the devices. And they decide to, hey, I'm going to cruise around the network. I'm going to go look at the HR person's hard drive. I'm going to go mm -hmm. look at the CEO's hard drive. You would never know. You probably would never pick up on that unless you had a pretty advanced network. Uh, if you have lack security controls like that, and the problem is, is like, that's, that's almost something that uh, not only is hard to monitor, but 
it becomes a bigger and bigger problem the more people you do that to and the more broadly you grant access. So being able to create a paper trail when people have access that would allow them to do that to somebody else's computer, I think is um, pretty important, pretty important security control. Yep. Trust, but verify. There you go. Next one here is session recording and monitoring, which I think is a really important one, right? This is the camera that sits up in the corner uh, and <laughs> says, hey, this is, this is being recorded. <laughs> Watch what you do, whether it's a real camera or not. It uh, can help, you know, mitigate maybe some risky behavior. Big brother. You know, Big I've, brother. I've always felt like, you know, that if you, yeah, if you went into, if you believe that there was a chance you're being monitored and watched, you're less likely to commit a crime. And I feel like it's the same thing with, um, you know, IT administrators who maybe think they can get away with things. If you have somebody who is corrupt, which, you know, usually people get by being corrupt because people, they don't stand, they're not purple, right? They don't, you don't look at somebody and, you know, without knowing them and think, oh, that person is corrupt, but they could be operating in the shadows and doing things and exfiltrating data and things like that. However, if they feel like there's a chance they're being monitored. So, I worked at a financial services company. We um, recorded administrator sessions. And then we had a policy that a certain small percentage of those videos would be reviewed by people in the um, IT compliance group. And I don't, <laughs> I don't think we actually ever got to 10% or a lot of recordings, but um, just the idea that possibly could be happening I felt like was a good control especially when you have imagine this you have third parties who are doing your server administration now mm -hmm. their sessions are being recorded and their sessions are possibly being reviewed um, I think it's it's just a good practice if you can get into it yeah, obviously I think all everything has to be risk um, balance it has to be balanced with risk but yeah you, if you have, the, sorry go ahead no, no it's just I was just wrapping up and saying that if you have that, if you have that kind of risky environment, it makes sense. On to you. Yeah, and, I <laughs> and I think <laughs> the other thing that comes out from a security perspective is change management, right? If you're able to go back and look at things that were done in a production environment, maybe as part of, you know, a production release or update or whatever it may be and something went wrong, you've got the ability to look at back, look back at it from a, from that perspective as well. So you know, there's, there's obvious security benefits, but there's also benefits to be had from a development process and, you know, being able to look back and say, oh, you know, I don't, you know, why did this patch update fail or why did this production push fail? And maybe you would be able to look back on it from a recording perspective and say, oh, it looks like it was, you know, syntax error, which seems to be the problem a lot <laughs> for mm -hmm. a lot of development. Um, but, it, you know, it can kind of help with that too, in addition to the security things. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the next one on the list was just in time or JIT. Um, I know that you had a thought on it. And the way that I read that was, this is kind of the concept of only providing the permissions right when they're needed. And kind of a cutting edge, I would say, approach to access still for these day, for this day and age, right? You've got an account and then let's say you need to go into AWS to do something and it dynamically as part of the request 
assigns you an IAM role based on whatever function you're trying to do. You do your thing and then it pulls the, the role off of the account even um, in a more dynamic way. Did you have a different interpretation of that? Well, yeah, I, I you know, my, I think what you described is probably what it is. My initial reaction was, okay, just in time doesn't sound like a capability. It sounds like a feature that would span a lot of these capabilities, which is that I want to do X, Y, and Z, you know, as I need, as I need it. So if I need to um, request access, I would do it and I could get the access just in time. Um, yeah, I didn't, but I think the, the route you're going, which is to talk about it as like, you know, time-based um, access. So in other words, I have the access just for some finite period of time. Maybe that is the description of the capability. Yeah, I was thinking maybe the concept of having like, you know, if you're going to set up like admin roles within an app, you know, the traditional way is, okay, we're going to need to set up 10 accounts with, you know, these specific permissions, and then we'll check them out when they're needed, right? Um, based on whatever task versus maybe being able to do, and you, and you may never need 10 um, concurrent connections with 10 different permissions. You might be able to get away if it's more dynamic or just in time where, you have maybe three or five accounts that don't have any permissions, but based on the request process, you know, you've mapped the request process to a specific entitlement or, or permission set. And if that's approved, it automatically assigns the permission to kind of one of these accounts that doesn't have any permissions. Normally you go off to your thing and then it reverts back to kind of like this blank key that you can then, you know, imprint a pattern on later for a different use. So you right. reduce the number of privileged accounts that might be out there. Um, and you make more of a set of, you know, on demand set of keys versus just having a bunch of keys laying around. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. You know, just to point out that we're sitting here, we're not really sure. There's not a big description in the document on what is meant by this. And so we're kind of just trying to think about some of the features that we've seen and, maybe part of it's like wish list, <laughs> you know, and say, yeah, well, that, that should be a capability. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. The next one was privileged single sign-on. So I took this to mean using PAM uh, to control access to an SSO credential. So, um, you know, doing something like using PAM to go into an Okta or ping ID and um, that could then land you on the portal and you have access to a number of applications you can single sign on it. So, and to me, this was like a good scenario where Pam could solve a business user use case. Could be an IT user as well, but business user use case where you know it's just that extra layer of protection, and you could even do session monitoring uh, over those sessions. You know, session monitoring. So here's an example of how all those can come together. So. We're using the privilege single signer. I could go in to my PAM system. I could, um, you know, log in and say, I want to use this particular credential. So it's the, uh, the uh, sales lead credential. And then it would launch a um, uh, RDP session. So it would feel like I'm in a Windows environment 
and maybe would launch a, a browser and within that browser it would land me on the dashboard for you know whatever our single sign-on system was and it would have five icons one for salesforce and one for marketo etc cetera, etc cetera. i could go into those apps single sign-on into those apps do whatever i was going to do and again i got that blinking light on in the corner that tells me this session is being recorded so if i go in there and i start you know downloading customer information i'm creating a i'm creating the evidence that could be used against me in court later yeah i think that makes a lot of sense right it's it's also the the way of not having to provide credentials directly to a person especially if you're using that privileged session you know automation where you're you're spawning an rdp connection or maybe it's a ssh or you know whatever it may be and it just kind of goes right in there i think traditionally this has been an issue where performance was always kind of a crutch that people would lean on and say, oh, you can't do the performance, not great. But I think, you know, in, an, in today's technology and the current bandwidth that's out there, that this has become less of a concern that performance um, is, is good enough to use these types of features for. That's right. The last one here was privileged user behavior analytics. Pooba. Pooba, yeah, rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> as if we needed more acronyms in the IEM space. It's well, pretty I've, much the same as other user behavior analytics, right? It's taking a look at the activity in the environment and you know using maybe AI or other functionality to identify risky behavior. Yep, exactly. I don't think there, not, I don't think that one's in question. <laughs> so we're not reinventing the wheel with that one. I think it's just you know one of the capabilities that that has been highlighted as, you know, these are the things to look out for. And just to cover them again, you've got privileged account data lifecycle management, shared account password management, application to application password management, controlled privilege elevation and delegation management, endpoint privilege management, session recording and monitoring, just in time, privilege single sign-on, and then privilege user analytics. So nine things that they, see these as like the core required capabilities for products in this space. Yeah. And I think some of those are stretched to call them core required. Like for example, mm -hmm. privileged user behavior analytics. I still don't think that that lands in the same level as, you know, monitoring and recording. It's certainly not a traditional capability, but it's still important. And if you're evaluating a product now that you need to get a couple years of, of life out of, it should be one of your, one of the factors you use. Yeah, exactly. Some of the, some of these core capabilities are more core than others. Is that would be a, a fair way to say it? <laughs> yeah. More core, more core than others. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So why don't we take a look at the, um, leaders. So they, you know, Cooper Cole does a good job of kind of having different charts. And I think the one that we'll have time to focus on today is the overall leader chart. And, you know, it's a great report, but there's one thing that I hate about Cooper and Cole reports is the way they do their charts. They put yeah, things on their side and make it hard to read all the vendors because it's going from basically right to left from, you know, leader to, to follower. So I wish they would just rotate it around and I'm not sure why they picked that other than maybe just to be different, but man, I would kill for a 90 degree rotate button in these, in these reports mm -hmm. to be able to read the, read the actual vendors and where they stand. Um, but without, you know, that being aside, you know, CyberArk is in, in their view, still the clear leader above everyone else. 
Um, you know, and, and as we're talking through these, I kind of picked out the challenges that they saw for these products because I think those are typically the differentiators more so than the um, you know capabilities or benefits they provide. And from a CyberArk perspective, even though it is the leader, the things that they cautioned on were the solution being highly modular, which could be you know not favorable in some environments. Um, it's certainly overkill sometimes for a lot of uh, customers that might be out there or, or areas. And I think that dovetails into, you know, they think that there should be more of a smaller mid-size product uh, in addition to their enterprise product because, you know, CyberArk can, can be this big wheel, you know, over, over uh, tasked beast that does all things that you want it to do, but it's probably overkill for a lot of businesses out there. Um, yeah, so they I mean, were the clear I've, leader. I've been, involved, I've been involved with some clients who have been evaluating solutions, and you know, the more complex you make your requirements, the more likely you're going to end up with CyberArk. And that's not a, a hit on CyberArk at all. But what I would say is, you know, things like we just talked about with the required capabilities, CyberArk's usually going to be more cutting edge on all the capabilities in that area. So if you say we gotta have AI, we gotta have AI, and we've gotta have these 10 requirements in the AI space covered, um, there's a good chance that you're gonna end up with CyberArk. <laughs> and again, yeah, not can. a hit on CyberArk <laughs> because they, they can do it. But it yeah. also, in my experience, is not the cheapest solution. Right, and I think this is where it's important to have your requirements and, and really understanding what is critical and what is not. Because if everything's critical, you know, you may not find any products that meet your needs, right? So, uh, you know, or it's only going to be one or two, but if you can really be judicious about, you know, what is nice to have versus truly critical, I think that'll open you up to, you know, more choices potentially. Yeah. Um, so CyberArk's a clear leader, um, you know, the, and then next up we've got Phycotic and Beyond Trust. They're pretty much neck and neck when it comes to the leadership, uh, you know, on this chart. Um, from a Beyond Trust perspective, um, a couple of things that they cautioned on uh, was the vulnerability management tool that they've got. It's gone end of life. Um, I can tell you, I agree with the second one here where the, they say the vendor website can be confusing and presenting the features of PAM products and making selection harder, which I totally agree with. I, don't, I think that's an area that Beyond Trust could do better on is the marketing and helping people understand what they're capable of. And I'll extend that also into licensing because um, they're one of the few vendors that licenses based on number of endpoints, and maybe this has changed. So forgive me if I'm wrong beyond trust, but it makes it difficult to do an apples to apples comparison with other vendors who may be licensed based on number of administrators. So um, that can be confusing when it's when it comes time to take a look at the numbers and trying to make a comparison. And uh, their other option, you know, is they're they're on premise. They they don't have a privilege management as a service option, like some of the other vendor. Um, from a psychotic perspective, uh, they don't support SAP uh, business or Oracle e-business. Um, they don't have an always on discovery scan uh, or making the scans available as XML. I don't know if that's necessarily important to be honest with you. I think if you can run discovery scans as needed, that might be good enough. And, you know, if you've got, you know, other legacy options out there uh, that they may need to work on convincing some of the larger organizations to get rid of legacy PAM. Now, what's interesting is I don't know if they defined what legacy PAM is in their mind. Do you remember seeing them, that in there, Jim? Uh, no, I don't think I got that far. 
Mm, okay. I mean, you could argue that CyberArk is legacy PAM because they've been around forever. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. I mean, they've um, been around forever for sure. <laughs> you know, I was, I, right. I, I was seeing, I mean, if this isn't, I don't know all these products super in depth, but I did see Broadcom listed. Broadcom bought CA, um, SiteMinder, or I think they bought all of CA. So I don't know if their PAM solution is essentially CA's PAM solution which I never thought that highly of, um, you know, I'm not here to disrespect anything, but I didn't think it was that fully featured. Yeah. And that's part of the challenge, right? The consolidation, you have companies that are buying names. I forget who it was that bought beyond trust. Was that Lieberman? Was it Lieberman bought beyond trust, but then they kept the beyond trust name. I think probably because they had a stronger market presence. So right. And Lieberman you know, always was listed as a leader. What, yeah, <laughs> the one I found really um, interesting, or that I I just have a lot of respect for, um, or I don't even know if I want to say respect, but just I think it's been really cool is Dicotic. Um, I was aware of the Secret Server product back when it was like SecretServer.com, and you could it was like um, I don't know what it cost per user, but it was super cheap. It like be free. Basic, it be a free version. Was there a free version? It was like you yeah. could do service account management and uh, password vault, I think. And then it was like it just kept adding feature here, feature there. Now they support Linux as well, and you know it's, the platform has continued to grow. To to now, it's a, a major vendor in the space, and you can argue is number two or number three in this report. But it all grew from that secret server product. Yeah. Which was like you said, almost like freeware. Yeah. I don't know if there is, I don't know if they're kind of a, a hidden secret or not at this point, but they've kind of felt to me like the scrappy underdog and, you know, they have a very capable solution and, you know, it's, I don't think they necessarily have the mindshare. Obviously CyberArk is kind of like Kleenex at this point from a, you know, from a mindshare perspective is everything is CyberArk. Um, but yeah, I think they've got a really good product and it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Right. Um, but yeah, they're, they're two and three. Uh, and then you've got another big kind of jump down to number four, which is Centrify, um, which uh, according to Kubernetes Cole, lack of comprehensive endpoint privilege management for desktops, higher pricing, and more focused on North America are sort of the, the big things that they caution on. Um, and then you've got things like Broadcom, which you're right, was a CA acquisition. Uh, they, they acquired CA, I should say. Then you've got SSH, um, Wallachs, well, I'm not familiar with them. And then you've got One Identity and Hitachi ID, and then you've got everyone else. So those are the, the leaders, but there's a very clear difference between CyberArk, which has a very clear difference between Thycotic and Beyond Trust, which are in the two and three position. And then you've got a very clear, uh, you know, drop down to Centrify and then, and then you know, the others that, that round up the, the leader quadrant. Um, there's one that comes up quite a bit in some of the conversations we've been having, especially recently, and that's Manage Engine. Um, for folks who are considering them or have them or, and are curious where they fall, they're kind of right in the middle, basically, of the pack, kind of in the top challenger area after everyone else we've mentioned. Um, you know, the, the cautions from Cooper and Cole and them were it's only available in an on-prem format. Um, doesn't really integrate with IGA technologies that are out there. And I think that's something that a lot of the leaders in this space, they do have tight integrations or tight partnerships with other technologies that are out there. 
Um, so that's a differentiator for sure. And that managed engine, um, another caution, and probably the biggest one in my mind is, you know, they don't have really connector support for cloud apps and, and cloud, cloud-based delivery. So that could be another key differentiator that's out there when it comes to these products. I think there's a, a place for point solutions in the PAM space. And the, yeah. the thing is, so we're, when we go in to work with a client, they're really focused on providing some um, benefit to their end users. And I mean, bottom line is like privilege access management doesn't, doesn't have that shiny, shiny item fact uh, feeling to it. So, you know, you roll out privilege access management, most of your end users won't even know you did it. Right, that's the right. goal. Actually, it's for your administrators. So, they might have their eyes set on doing single sign-on, multi-factor authentication, identity governance, and a lot of times what we find is like you guys have a security risk with, you know, your, your service accounts, your domain administrators, and your admin accounts overall, and so you need something. And so that's where I feel like you know maybe you don't need the strategic solution that's going to take you into the next decade, but you can't ignore the problem. You've got to do something, even if it's a, a stopgap solution that's going to get you two, three years and, and get you to start getting a better handle over your, you know, your risky accounts. And so that's where I can see dropping down into the, into the chart and in a place for everybody, you know, based on what your needs are and, finding a vendor that really is going to care about you, especially as a smaller, uh, maybe less strategic client. You know, if you, if you're looking to get a, a stopgap point solution, you're not going to run right up to CyberArk. CyberArk is going to be your strategic solution. It's going to be when you're ready to put together a privileged access management program. It's going to be when you have, you know, a lot of administrators and a lot of endpoints. But if that doesn't, that doesn't address you. That doesn't mean you don't need to do privilege access management. It just means you need a different solution. Yeah. It's probably overkill for a lot of areas. So, you know, some of the things that is, is as you check out the report, just keep in mind, you know, your needs and what you're looking for, what's important to you. Don't just go based off of what the so-called experts, including ourselves <laughs> talking here, say you really have to decide what's important and what's critical for your organization. What is the problem you're trying to solve? You know, if you told me I could get, I'll pick on Manage Engine again. If I get Manage Engine for a dollar per person um, and CyberArk is $20 per person, I'm going to figure out a way to make Manage Engine work for me until I truly outgrow it um, or, you know, something changes from, from some other perspective. It doesn't make sense to spend 20 times to get 20% more service, 50% more service capability, right? Those sorts of things. You really need to think about what's important and drill down into your requirements uh, to, to figure out what is core. What is more core than other core things? <laughs> As we'll put it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, which we uh, talked about. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to bring up before we wrap up uh, for this episode? No, I think we got a nice long one here. Then, don't we? Yeah, I think it's a pretty decent size here. So we'll go ahead and uh, leave it there. As always, if there's any questions or comments or topics that you'd like to see us cover in the future, go ahead and email us at questions at identitythecenter.com or feel free to look us up on LinkedIn. We'll have links to our profiles there and shoot us a message. And for those of you who have sent messages over, you know, we've tried to address as many of those as we can and answer as many as we can. And we try to get those topics included into uh, our episode uh, schedule as, as we work through. So 
thank you all for listening and stay healthy and we'll talk with you all in the next one. You've been listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. For more episodes, visit identityatthecenter.com.